0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: If you're thinking of buying a home in 2024, it is really important that you know, not just the steps in the process from pre-approval all the way through to getting your keys, but what the potential pitfalls are that you could run across so that you can prepare, execute, and be ready to have a smooth, stress-free process. So today we're going to cover what your lender, your realtor, escrow, title, the sellers, what everyone wishes you knew so that you can have a smooth process
0: this is the educated home buyer everything you need to know to buy right borrow smart and build wealth through real estate ownership
1: with that jeb where does a smooth home
0: buying process start starts with a buyer that is already made the decision that they want to become a homeowner, not the buyer that needs to be convinced. It's the person that's made a decision that this is important to me. I want to do this and more or less looking for a guide, the Sherpa, to take them up the mountain. And that's where you and I come in, right? And so the chicken or the egg, Uh, me as a real estate agent, I often get people reaching out to me saying, I'm ready to buy a house. My first question to them is, are you pre-approved? So I think the perfect candidate out there in the market, Josh, the perfect buyer, has maybe connected with a real estate agent, but that real estate agent has then referred them back to a mortgage professional or they started with the mortgage professional and went through that pre-approval process. So that's really where you come in and the idea that, hey, listen, when somebody calls you and they say they're ready to buy a house, what is it that they should already know? What is it that they should be prepared to talk about or be prepared to give you to make your life easier? we can guide someone from wherever
1: they are to where we need them to be but in a perfect world, they've done some of the legwork. What does that mean? It means they have all their documentation together. They've looked at their pay stubs, their W2s, their bank statements. They're very aware of how much money they have. If we ask what monthly debts do you have, they don't have to go, oh geez, that's a good question. They've already probably done the free annual credit report. They have a ballpark idea of their credit score. So we're gonna tighten all of these things up as we go. But I think it's important if we go back to your first statement that someone is serious and has decided and is, I'm going to buy, you should have done some of that legwork up front and educated yourself. Again, I can guide you through that. I can pull all of that information out, but we have a much better conversation on that initial call if you already have some of that legwork done. And talking about, Jeb, the chicken or the egg, do you start with the realtor do you start with the lender? If you start with the lender, the benefit is you go talk to your realtor and you say, I'm approved for X, I have enough money of a down payment. I'm comfortable with that monthly payment. So you have those big number issues. Can I and am I willing to already taken out of play and you're ready to just go. Now the flip side, a lot of times I will ask someone, okay, cool, I'm kind of seeing these numbers is what we qualify for. Will that get you what you want in the area? Is that a single family or is it a a condominium, something with an HOA? What is that price range? Like the things that we need to know to make sure that what we've pre-approved you for will get you what you want. A lot of times people don't know. They've kind of looked a little bit online. So if you start with the realtor, Jeb or any other realtor is going to have some of that in line. And if they refer you over to me, if a realtor refers hey, I'm talking to to Jose and Susie and what they're thinking is something in the $550,000 range. It's probably a condo. We commonly see $350 HOA dues. They're looking in a newer area, tax rates a little higher, about 1.8%. So now I can overlay the numbers on top of that. So really, you can start with the realtor, you can start with the lender, but hopefully you've done some of your legwork so that you're prepared to maximize that conversation and get momentum as quickly as possible.
0: Now, Josh, when I heard you say that, I I think I don't know that I've ever had the perfect candidate call me then, because if they knew all of that information when they called me, I wouldn't have a job because part of my job is guiding them, asking them the right questions that create these answers that allow us to take the next step. So if you just heard Josh talk and you're like, I haven't done any of that, I, I guess I can't start the process. No. As Josh mentioned, you can start from wherever you are. It is us coming from a a different idea of the homeownership process, right? A lot of the information on our podcast is to discuss the benefits of homeownership. Now, we assume that you guys are are lifelong listeners of the podcast. Two years now, uh, just over 100 episodes that you've been here from the start and that you know how important it is. Therefore, we're not convincing you that you've made that decision And that you're just trying to prepare at this point. And so the preparation doesn't have to be perfect. Now, if you came to me and you've been pre-approved, that's a really good start because you and I can have a a better conversation about numbers. Because what happens on the flip side is if you call me and you aren't pre-approved, we can talk about what you're looking for in a home and we could talk about homes that you've seen online but we really have no idea whether or not you can qualify for those homes and we don't quite frankly don't want to spend a lot of time talking about it because it's an emotional process right what i see or what i've seen in the past is people start the searching online they start going to open houses they start doing some of these things before they've done the actual legwork that we're talking about here and oftentimes the numbers don't work out the way they hope that they worked out. They're, they're not approved up to as high of a price as some of the homes they're looking at online. And as we all know, the higher price you go, the more you're usually going to get in that home that meets what you're looking for. So if you've been looking at million-dollar homes and you find out you're approved for $750, it's going to be somewhat of a letdown to some degree because maybe now you have to look at townhomes or condos or one less bedroom. So Just know it's great to do a lot of the stuff up front, have an idea of what it is you're looking for, but it's also a good idea when talking to somebody up front to kind of get the process rolling and that's where Josh comes in. But you've talked to Josh, you've talked to me. Now the conversation is having an idea, the perfect person when they call me, they know how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, how many square feet. They have an idea of where they want to be city-wise. You know, one of the worst things that can a buyer can do is call me and say, hey, I want to be in Orange County. Okay. Orange County is like 35 cities, and they range in price points. Now, it doesn't mean you can't do it because we're going to start narrow, narrowing, narrowing it down as we have a conversation. But it's really good to say, hey, listen, I live here now. I work here. These are the cities that I can commute from. This is what makes the most sense. Let's start with the ideal house in mind, right? If the ideal house doesn't exist in our search, then we start to expand. Then we say, okay, you can't find the perfect home that you're looking in Huntington because of price or because of specifically what you're looking for in a home. Now let's add some more cities. Let's add Fountain Valley. Let's add Costa Mesa. Let's let's expand, but let's start where it's perfect. That way, if we can find the perfect home, then we don't have to go any further on that search. And you've got exactly what you're looking for in that home. Now, Josh, I feel like I'm rambling to some degree, but what are we missing here in what I'm talking about?
1: No, I don't think we've missed much of anything at all other than this is the point to ask any and every question that's come across your mind. There are no dumb questions. No. There are no questions too small. The more we can prep up front, when I say we, your lender, your realtor, the more questions we can answer, the more confidence, the more knowledge we can give you If we do this right, almost everything that comes after is a formality, including writing the offer. You know, the hard work, I'm going to say 50% of the work is upfront, getting you pre-approved, getting you comfortable with a payment, comfortable with cash to close, and then translating that and overlaying that into what can you get in a property. Once we've done that, yeah, we got to find the property and that's hard. But now once all that is done and we have an accepted offer, if your realtor and your lender have done their job correctly, it should feel really easy. Like it's just Dom, those falling in place after that because you did the hard work and set everything in place up front. So if it sounds like we've talked about a lot of legwork up front, it's because this is the most important part. This is where we build the foundation for a smooth and easy and stress-free transaction. The less we do up front, the less questions we answer, the more potential there is for problems, headaches, or just overall stress throughout the process.
0: Yeah. I mean, we're not only here to help you negotiate the best price and the best terms and negotiate the best deal. We're here to provide some education along the way and and truly help you understand what the process is. I think that's one of the problems with the home buying process is that you've got agents out there in the business and mortgage, quote unquote, professionals out there in the business that are just order takers. They just take the information, they process it and hey, you have a mortgage, you have a house, but you didn't learn anything. You weren't walked through a process and fully understand and grasp the concept of what you were doing so that next time you're not having to ask a lot of the same questions. And a moment ago, I mentioned when talking to me, you have an idea of what you want. I think one thing I left out in saying that is that a lot of times it's two different parties buying a home. Sometimes it's a spouse, sometimes it's a brother or a friend, or maybe even some cases a parent. The more people that are involved, the more ideas and thoughts people have and wants and needs that they want in a property. And so getting people on the same page is important. You'd be surprised how often I talk to a couple and they want two different things. One party is okay with two bedrooms. The other party says, no, we absolutely have to have four. There's a big difference in two and four bedrooms, right? One person may be thinking a little bit longer term, whereas the other person's thinking now. So part of my job and part of the conversation is asking the right questions so that we are factoring all this in maybe even filling out a home buyer questionnaire separately two different parties filling out it separately which sounds crazy and then having two parties look at it and go wow we are not on the same page like we're completely different here because if we can get on the same page if you guys can get on the same page and then i can get on the same page with what it is you're looking for i have a much better opportunity to find what you're looking for in a property especially when it comes to to location the the more narrow we can get can be a downfall to some extent, because it limits the amount of options. But when the right property presents itself, we know we have the right one. And so don't go into it thinking that you can't be narrow. I I say be narrow, be very specific to a degree, but also be willing to compromise. Because in the market that we're in, that we've come out of for the better part of three years, we have a lack of inventory. We have... Just buyer demand has been crazy in some cases. In some cases, it's weaned off a bit. But it's a market where if we have an idea as an agent, we can do our work, sometimes finding off-market properties, talking to our agents in our office, talking to past clients that may be willing to sell to be able to find you something that is what you're looking for versus throwing a blanket over the entire county of, of Orange County and saying, this is my price point. I'm willing to live anywhere here. That's very tough as an agent to help you because we don't really have that driving force to be able to help you help yourself in finding the right property. It's kind of difficult to talk about because without having the conversation, but the more specific you are, the easier our job is. So, Jeb, if we've done it right to this point, we have a rock-solid pre-approval.
1: You know your max purchase price. You know what loan program you want to go on. You know what your monthly payment is going to look like. And you're going to know exactly how much you need to have at closing to pay for your down payment and closing costs. Mm -hmm. You've got with your realtor, you've got super clear on where you want to be, what the property needs to have, if there's a specific school district, specific location. So, with that, your realtor has set you up on a drip where they're delivering properties to you. You can do that in Zillow and Redfin, but your realtor can get something super specific. So you're seeing that. You may have stopped into some open houses. You may have gone out with your realtor and looked at some homes uh, on a weekend. What happens once you've now found the home? Fits our price range, fits our criteria. We're ready to write that offer. What does that process look like?
0: Yeah. So part of my job is to call your lender and get a pre-approval letter. So that's going to be part of the package that we talk about here. The main thing that we're going to do is once you find the property is write an offer. And I think as a buyer, some things that you need to be prepared to have a conversation with about your agent. Now, keep in mind the offer. I don't remember the number at the moment because it changes every year, but it is somewhere between 17, 18 pages long, right? It's mostly boiler templated, language in the contract. But there are things in there that you fill out that make your offer different than other offers that might be submitted. And so some of the things that we're going to talk about are the price. What are you willing to offer on that home? Now, we're not going to go into detail here about why we should offer X or Y, but price is one of those things we're going to talk about. Time frame is another. How quickly do you want to close on this property? What does your time frame look like? Because what happens is people say, 30 days, you know, that's that's the number. And they don't realize 30 days goes by quick. That's traditionally the number and, and what we see the most when it comes to writing offers. But just understand what these numbers mean and have an idea of going in. I, I have a client right now I'm working with. Their lease isn't up until October. They're looking now. Now they're prepared to have to exit that lease early and pay some fees on that side. But if you're somebody that says, hey, listen, I'm not paying any extra fees then you probably shouldn't be looking six, eight months out, right? Get closer to the process. So time frame, escrow deposit. This is a really big one. Understanding what the escrow deposit is, how it works is super important, and how much money your agent recommends you put up as part of that earnest money deposit. Having that conversation before writing the offer is usually a good thing. That way you understand it because the process of writing an offer can happen quick. Especially you see a home on the weekend, you talk to the agent on the other side, hey, we're reviewing offers on Sunday. Maybe you saw it on Sunday morning. This is the one, you wanna write an offer. Well, the earlier you've had the conversation about a lot of these things, the easier it's going to be to fill out that offer. Now, once you've done it one time, the second offer is pretty easy because you understand the process. But deposit is one of those things. And the next thing, is contingencies. You know, what are those contingencies? Time frames, are you willing to shorten them? What is shortening them mean to you? Do you have enough time to fulfill that? All of that stuff is going to be part of that contract. Now, if you're listening to this thinking contingencies, what are contingencies? We've done episodes where we've discussed this. In fact, we'll link to them below about a lot of the things that we're kind of breezing over in the description below in case you want to get some detail on some of this stuff. But those are really the main things there. In some cases, you might be asking for closing costs to be covered, depending on where you're located in the country. In some cases, you might be asking for buyer compensation because of changes in buyer compensation nationwide. This is a conversation you're going to be having now prior to looking at properties. In fact, we probably should have mentioned that earlier. And in some cases, your agent might be negotiating that compensation as part of the offer. Now, we're not going to go into compensation in detail on this episode. In fact, we're going to do an entire episode on it next week. So next week's episode, we're going to be talking about compensation, but that's the next thing in there. And from that point, it's me grabbing documentation again from Josh, pre-approval, whatever we're going to to be able to do in order to submit that offer.
1: Jeb, let, let's talk about the lender's role in that because what I see it, more and more when I started back in the 90s, I would legitimately say that realtors controlled about 70% of the mortgage business, meaning they would make a referral to their preferred lender. Now, Loans are just so much more available in terms of online, podcasts, blogs. You can find a lender anywhere. So we have more people. I actually saw some figures the other day from the NAR that more borrowers than never find their own lender. And a lot of times what I find is for some reason, they want to keep these things separate. Well, I'm going to pick my realtor and just get me the pre-approval letter. It is important that we work together Absolutely. throughout the process, but especially at this point. So it's not just getting your realtor a pre-approval letter with automated underwriting, finding proof of credit scores, proof of assets if the the offer requires it, but it's also giving you updated figures. So we qualified you for 625 and you're writing an offer at 600. You probably want to know, hey, if rates gone up or down, how does that $25,000 decrease affect my cash to close, affect my monthly payment so that you are making the best decision for you. And on top of that, we want to make sure that your realtor includes us in that offer process because I always want to call the listing agent that's representing the sellers and go through answer any questions they have give them the the certainty that we have a rock-solid pre-approval that I'm a real professional that you may have found me online but I've been doing this for 25 years we're not gonna disappear we're not gonna not answer their calls they're not gonna go two weeks without an update in the process all of those things come into play in terms of whether your offer is going to get accepted now from there error, we've really it's pretty rare that you submit an offer and the seller goes, "Yep, yeah, we'll take it. There's some back and forth and your lender can be involved in that as well. We may go the other way. You write that offer at 600 and they come back and go, no way, Jose, we want 625. And we're updating those numbers, giving the buyer certainty. Yes, you can afford it. Yes, you will be comfortable with that payment. Yes, we can make that happen. But what does that back and forth of negotiations look like from the realtor who's on the front line going back and forth with the, the listing agent and the seller?
0: Well, you know, honestly, it can go a lot of different ways. Depends on the agent on the other side, depends on how many offers they have, depends on the motivation of the seller, right? All of these things unfortunately play in. A lot of buyers unfortunately believe, I submitted an offer today, when am I going to hear back? Well, the contract, at least here in the state of California, gives the seller 3 days to respond to the offer. Now, what I'll say is sometimes the seller responds within 24 hours. Most of the time it's not. Most of the time it's a couple of days depending on when the offer submitted, when they're reviewing offers. A lot plays into that part. But when responding to offers, sometimes the seller might respond after the third day, which means that in theory, your contract's not even valid anymore because of that three-day cutoff, but the seller can still respond after that point and you can still respond. You can kind of keep the communication going. It's one of those nuances in the contract that's like, hey, this is a line in the sand, but it's only a line in the sand if you choose to make it a line in the sand from the buyer side. If you say... If you don't respond in three days, I'm out. You can do that. But what I will say is the time frame varies and the negotiation varies. Sometimes the negotiation can come back on price. It can come back on terms. It can come back on both. It can come back asking you to revise your offer to a highest and best offer. Sometimes they can come back and ask you for a specific number in that offer and specific terms in that offer. And crazy as this may sound, they can negotiate or respond to you in a different way than they respond to the next person. There's multiple negotiations going on here in some cases when there's multiple offers. But the, the important thing to understand is that the offer to purchase the home is really the first negotiation, right? That people believe, hey, my offer gets accepted, that's where it ends. No, that's not where it ends. You're really just getting the process started just because you get under contract, with a home doesn't mean it's all smooth sailing from that point forward. There's a lot of things that have to happen in that process, which we're going to talk about. And they kind of happen simultaneously with the loan process, Josh. So we get an offer accepted because this negotiation goes back and forth and, and we can come to an agreement. We can come to terms with the seller, whatever that means with regards to the price. Now, the seller can only accept one offer. So that means if they accept your offer, then now you have the opportunity to fulfill the due diligence in the contract that you stated you would by the contract that you sent in originally. And some of that is going to pertain to the lending side, the mortgage broker, and part of it's gonna pertain to me, right? So you got two processes kind of happening at the same time. Now, once your offer gets accepted, that information is passed along to Josh. And it says, hey, Josh, we got an accepted contract Josh starts doing his thing on his side. Same thing happens on me. Once we get an offer accepted, what we start doing is looking at those contingencies that we filled out in the contract and stating, okay, we have a loan contingency. Josh needs to take care of that. We have an appraisal contingency. Josh needs to take care of that. We have a home inspection contingency and we've got to review seller disclosures and review the HOA docs and all of that stuff that falls on us. So we have to do that due diligence within the time allotted on the contract, while Josh is also doing his piece. So Josh, your piece, the the loan, now people think, hey, I've been pre-approved, why am I doing this again? Like, I'm good to go. Why am I providing more documentation? Maybe explain that part.
1: If your lender has done it correctly, it should feel like a non-event. Like you should be going, really? Is it this easy? But one of the things Jeb's alluding to here is there's an expiration date on any loan documents. We need to have pay stubs within 30 days. So if you have been taking 60 days to find the right property, we're probably going to need to get updated pay stubs. Everything has an expiration on it. We just turned over the year here, so we probably got the 2022 W-2s. By the end of the month, we're going to need 2023 W-2s. Bank statements have an expiration on them. Credit report is only good for 120 days. So some things can need to be updated, but that's fairly simple and easy because we have the majority of what we need. The most important part is we're going to reach out to the escrow or title company, whoever's handling the closing, and we're going to get all of the third-party fees. The reason being is your lender is held accountable for that. So up front, I gave you an outline of what fees are going to look like. We need to be prepared with at closing. When you wrote that offer, we updated those. Now that we know what the offer is that is accepted, we can absolutely dial that in, including all of the third-party fees. Rather than estimating escrow fees, title fees, recording fees, all of that stuff, we can now go and dial all of that in, and we need to to disclose it to you you're going to get a loan estimate. The loan estimate is the official document that now says, Box A items cannot vary from this point on if we lock the interest rate. The other items have limited tolerance. So we're going to get all those disclosures out to you. And again, it should be a formality. You should look back and go, yep, yeah, these are exactly or very similar to the numbers that Josh showed me when we wrote the offer. We need to get you to make your deposit to escrow. Many escrow and title companies will not start working on your file until they receive the deposit. In that contract, Jeb wrote a timeline, 24 hours, 48 hours from acceptance, that deposit's going to get there but that piece is really important. So from there, we're gonna get the disclosures out to you. We're gonna get the file submitted to underwriting. We're gonna get your appraisal ordered so that we know we can meet all of the contingencies that fall on our end. The loan contingency, California standard contract is 17 days, appraisal 17 days. Oftentimes in this market, some of that negotiation is, hey, we wanna have the loan contingency removed in 10 days. We wanna have the appraisal removed in 10 days. So it's making sure we're getting all of our ducks in a row there so that we have the full approval, we have the appraisal that we can go through. It doesn't mean that we have unconditional loan approval that you can go, Hey, my loan is ready to fund, but the lender comes back and says, yes, it is approved subject to providing X, Y, and Z. We've had that discussion and we know you can provide those things. We have the appraisal. We know there's no conditions. We know the value is good. Everyone has signed off on that stuff, but that's what we're doing on the financing side. And again, if I did my job well, if my team is doing their job well, this should seem almost like a non-event to you because we did most of that work upfront at pre-approval.
0: Now, you said something really important there that made me realize that I missed a step, the deposit. We talked earlier about the deposit that you're gonna write on the contract. There is, that deposit that you write on the contract is money that you have to put into escrow, to an attorney, to a title office, depending on where you're located in the country. It varies a little bit differently, but that's money that whatever you write on the contract, that's money you have to put into that third party, kind of an intermediary between the seller and the buyer. That's money that has to come out of your account into their account for closing. Now, it's not in addition to your closing costs at the end. It comes out of that closing cost, but it's money that's out there for the foreseeable future. So if you don't have any money in your checking and savings accounts, but you got money tied up in stocks and different assets or whatever, it's in Bitcoin, and you know, hey, I'm gonna use this money for my deposit and to be able to buy a house. Prior to buying a home, you need to start thinking about the idea of liquidating some of this stuff because sometimes it can take couple of days, weeks to get that money into your account, depending on who the company is. And so if you fill out a contract and it says you've got three days to get this deposit in there and you don't have the money on hand, in theory, if you don't get it in there in the, by the third day, the seller can cancel if they don't feel comfortable with the transaction. That's one of the outs the seller has. In fact, once a seller's in a contract, there's very few things they can do to actually get out of the contract, but that's one of them. And then the seller can't really get out of the contract again unless you're not abiding by the contract for whatever reason. You're not doing things that you said you would do. Other than that, the seller can't back out of a contract once they've gone into it. Now, on the flip side, at least here in the state of California, during that contingency period, you can pretty much get out of the contract for more or less any reason. Even if you just change your mind, that's a reason that you could back out of the contract. Other states, maybe not so easy, but something to keep in mind there when you've got money on the line, making sure that you understand how this works prior to the process is important. So the perfect buyer out there, ask these questions up front. You're having this conversation. In fact, I had a conversation with a client two weeks ago where we literally walked through the entire home buying process. It took about an hour and 10 minutes on the phone so that he's raking an offer now. It should be just a revisit to that conversation. It shouldn't be, hey, this is what happens now. It's like, hey, remember we talked about this is the next step. This is what we're going to do. And that's really how the process flows. And in this case, that deposit is something that is important. But negotiation, right? We said two processes happen simultaneously You might be negotiating repairs, you might be negotiating part of the appraisal. If the appraisal were to come in less, we might be renegotiating value in some cases. That's part of our job as real estate agents, real estate professionals. While your lender is getting your loan approved and ordering your appraisal, we're doing the inspections as I mentioned, and we're walking you through that process. Now, a lot of buyers will reach out and say, I'm not getting any emails from you, I haven't really heard from the lender, is everything okay? Absolutely. When you're not hearing from somebody, I mean, there should be communication kind of leading you into, hey, listen, this is what's happening now, therefore you shouldn't be concerned. But sometimes people think that they need to be doing something every day because they're in this contract for a 30-day period, that there's something that they have to be doing as part of that. No, there's a lot of dead time in the process where Josh is doing his job. I'm doing my job as a real estate agent. We're both communicating with you to some degree, but we don't have to go to the property. There's not additional documentation that you have to provide, it's just this holding period. And I think a lot of people get confused thinking that I always have to be doing something while I'm under contract. Once we get past all of that,
1: Jeb, you've had all the negotiations, we have inspections, you've reviewed seller disclosures, your loan is approved, you have the appraisal in hand. We should, at this point, be clear to close on your financing, and that should be hopefully a week or so, week to 10 days prior to your scheduled closing date. And we're going to prepare loan documents, send them over to title or escrow, whoever's handling the closing, and they're going to schedule a time for you to sign. Again, this should be a non-event we are going to get you a closing disclosure, at least three days ahead of that, where you can review all of the numbers, which will match your loan estimate, which match the numbers that we talked about when you wrote the offer. and. We're just going to confirm, yes, everything looks the same. Your lender, your loan officer should be reviewing the note. They should be reviewing the estimated settlement statement so that all of the numbers that you've agreed to in terms of the monthly payment, the interest rate, the cash to close, nothing has changed. So at that point, you're going to go and sign loan documents. I say go. It used to always be you would go to the title company, you would go to the escrow company and sign. Now, in many parts of the country, it's much more common that a mobile notary comes out and signs with you. Again, they're going to give you that number of here's the final accounting of everything you have made your deposit, but here's what you still owe. We need to get that money over to escrow. You're going to 99 times out of 100 do that with a wire. We have a lot of wire fraud. Jeb, I was actually on a call last night, a friend of mine in Colorado Springs had a client lose $77,000 through a very elaborate wire fraud. The hackers had actually got into the email system of the escrow company and were sending emails from the escrow company. They weren't legitimately from the escrow company, but it looked like it to the buyer. Thankfully the buyer was able, after like a two month investigation, the FBI getting involved, getting their money back. But this is not doom and gloom. We're not just trying to scare you. This does happen. It is not common. but whether it's uncommon or common once in a million of losing 70 80, it's more 100, common than we want a to million dollars it's common yeah. yeah yeah so you need to be super careful super aware of that so hopefully several days in advance of the transaction we are getting you to sign your loan documents You're going to have any final questions that you have, we can clarify, but hopefully we've answered those ahead of time. You're going to get your funds over and please do not wait till the 11th hour. Different banks, different credit unions have different processes for getting a wire out, different cutoffs, different requirements. Some of them will make you come into the branch. If you're going to be out of town, these are all things that need to be coordinated ahead of time and hopefully your lender and realtor and the title company have gone through all of that. But Jeb, from your end, there's definitely some closing of loops that also has to be done in addition to just signing loan documents and getting funds to escrow.
0: Yeah. So typically what happens is you've reserved the right as part of the contract to do a final walkthrough on the property. So we're at this point, assuming that everything has gone smooth, you've released contingencies, you're ready to close, right? Because you're signing loan docs. A couple of days prior to closing, we're walking through the property, looking at it more or less to make sure it's in the same condition that it was when you bought it. Now, In a perfect world, the seller's moved out, which means there's no furniture in the property. You can truly see everything, the flooring, the wall, like everything. I would tell you more often than not, it's not a perfect world. You're going to walk in, the seller's got boxes everywhere, and the moving truck hasn't showed up, and there's still things for the seller to do, so you're not seeing it as a clean slate. But we're walking through to make sure if we've negotiated any repairs that the repairs are completed that things are as they are supposed to be for you to move into that property now in the case that things aren't done that's my job to negotiate with the seller to get these things completed prior to closing now you can hold up closing on getting the stuff done we're not going to dive into detail here but that's just part of the process now depending on the state that you go through or where you live We've walked through the property, all is good to go. Once you sign those loan docs, in some states you get the keys right then. California doesn't work that way. Typically the the loan has to fund, has to record, and that happens depending on the county you're in. Sometimes it can happen the next day. And depending on what you've negotiated in the contract, you're getting keys once that recording happens. Now in some cases, you've allowed a rent back. Some cases you've allowed the seller to stay in the property for three additional days, which means you're not getting the keys to that property until that period is over but that is usually done in a perfect world that we're showing up to the property making sure that everything is as it's supposed to be you're arriving right then we're handing over the keys celebrating and really that's the celebration point now i i don't like to say you shouldn't celebrate once you go under contract because it's a happy process you just went under contract this is everything you wanted you finally got the house I've seen deals fall apart for many reasons over the years. The celebration really happens at the end of the day. Once it records, funds, keys are in your hand, then that's really when you can kind of let the emotions go and really enjoy and take it all in. And what I will say is that people have short memories. Things can happen during the process of buying and selling homes that seem like an overkill at the time just because there is so much emotion in it. But just take it step by step, day by day, and let the professional the person that you're having represent you, both on the lending side and the real estate side, guide you through that process and really help you make the best best experience of it. I would say,
1: Jeb, uh, an additional piece of guidance or information that I would like to give: build some margin into the closing process that lasts seven to ten days. So you are scheduled to close on the 31st of January. Please do not have your movers showing up to that house on the 31st of January. Things rarely but can and do happen that cause delays, valid, invalid, acceptable, unacceptable. The biggest way you can make stress is to have your lease expire, hand your keys over to your landlord, have a truck packed up, waiting to move in. So on the flip side, I had a client in December that he kept his lease all the way through December, even though they closed on like the second or the third, because he didn't want to have any potential for problems. Well, he ended up paying a couple thousand dollars too much in rent, but he didn't have any stress in his life. So don't bring on any unnecessary stress to yourself, because again, it is rare. 95% 95% of my transactions close on time, 5%, something happens, seller gets delayed, there's a negotiation that gets drug out. Last night, that call that I was on, a great loan officer that I know, they were having technical difficulties with the lender in getting docs out to title on a closing today. They're going to get them out but it's going to be at the 11th hour and that's a little bit of stress but if you're working with professionals you have confidence in them and they're keeping you apprised of the situation don't stress too much just know that this is an imperfect process so don't expect perfection and allow some grace and leave some margin throughout the process for your sake jeb something that i i had meant to talk about that we left out of this process and we're going to do an entire episode on this also but homeowners insurance Homeowner's insurance is becoming a big issue in many parts of the country, including California. You need to work on your homeowner's insurance as soon as you have that offer accepted. It's a requirement for closing. Your lender's going to need it. It's important for you for peace of mind to know that you both have insurance and that it is what you estimated it to be. So start that as early in the process as possible. Once you have received an offer and don't just get a quote, get a quote, make sure that is my number. I'm accepting it. You locked it down and move on. But again, this is a really important one. And in the next month we will have a full episode with an insurance expert on to guide us through that. Yeah,
0: there's a lot of nuances to everything that we discussed here that we didn't go into detail on in order to keep this timely. We're at 40 minutes or so at the moment, and so to keep this process moving forward. But the key here, make sure you're working with a professional on both sides, somebody that can guide you, somebody that can answer these questions, somebody that asks questions, not just an order taker, somebody that's willing to go to bat for you, negotiate, help you understand the process. That's really what it's about. In fact, if you need that person, you can get in touch with them using a referral link below. We've set up a system that will put you in touch with people we know, like, and trust to guide you through that process, whether it be on the real estate side or the mortgage side, and that link can get you there. But what I would say is be patient through the process. Understand that no process is perfect, like Josh mentioned. Leave little margin for error. But more importantly, put confidence in the person that you're working with and, and let them do their job and really help guide you and make it something that you're going to look back on and be happy that you went through it in becoming a homeowner. So hopefully you found value in that. If you did, do us a favor, hit that like and subscribe button, share this episode with a friend. Next week, we'll talk about the idea of buyer compensation, what that means for you. But until then, have a great day. Adios. Amigos. Thanks for listening to The Educated Homebuyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube. And make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.